Welcome to the Warning Podcast. I am thrilled today. I have been looking forward to for weeks uh, to interview, to talk with, have a conversation with Lucas Kuntz, who is running for the United States Senate in the state of Missouri against Josh Hawley. I think this is one of, if not the most important U.S. Senate race in the country. Uh, this is a race that every single American who cares about liberty, who cares about democracy, who cares about the truth, who cares about decency, should invest in. Lucas Kuntz is a former United Lucas Kuntz is a United States Marine officer to this day, a lieutenant colonel in the reserves, uh, served on active duty for 13 years, did three tours in Iraq in Afghanistan during those wars. This is a person who raised his hand, took an oath, put the cloth of the nation on, went to war, and now wants to stand in the United States Senate to make certain that the to make certain that the disgrace that occurred there on January 6th never happens again. And we should be really clear as, as we start this conversation today, that the man that Lucas Kuntz is running against is singularly, personally, directly, and absolutely unimpeachably responsible, along with Donald Trump, along with Ted Cruz, along with the Proud Boys, and along with the extremists, of breaking the peaceful transition of power tradition in the United States of America that endured from 1797 until January 6th of 2021. Josh Hawley raised his fist to show solidarity with those people. And then, unlike a United States Marine, he ran in terror and he hid in a closet and cowered while these people ransacked the United States Capitol. I am delighted to be with Lucas Kuntz today. Welcome. Yeah, thanks for having me, Steve. I'm excited to be here, man. So how's the race going in Missouri? Tell us about it. And, and, and just what, what can people do to help you all over the country get rid of Josh Hawley, who in addition to being a plague in Missouri, is a national pestilence. Yeah, I mean, campaign's going real well. You know, we've raised over $4 million so far, which is a record for a Democrat or Republican challenger at this time. And uh, really, like, the best thing is that um, everybody in Missouri hates Josh Hawley, too. Like, people outside of Missouri may not know that, but he's the least popular U.S. senator up for election this entire cycle. Like, and I mean, Ted Cruz on the ballot, people. So that's quite an achievement, right? And, uh, you know, he's often upside down in his numbers. Uh, St. Louis Post-Dispatch put out a poll the other day showing us 44-43 with him. It's going to be a tight race. The guy's in a, fraud, a fraud and a coward, right? I mean, you, went, you mentioned January 6th. He's out there pumping his fist when he thinks it's going to get him some power. And then the second things get real, he's skittering out the back door and running away. I mean, uh, you know, you mentioned the Marine Corps. Like, we'd have been court-martialed if we showed that type of cowardice in the Marine Corps. And so... Uh, for me, I'm just excited to have this race on the map. I'm excited to serve the Missourians that I grew up with. 
um, because frankly, we're suffering out here. And it's because country club politicians like Josh Hawley uh, have really just been, you know, stripping our communities for parts for power for themselves. And and you didn't grow up with a silver spoon in your mouth like like Mr. Holly. Why don't, why don't you tell us about your background? Yeah, so I grew up in uh, a beautiful neighborhood. So it was, uh, it was like a real slice of Americana. Um, it was one of those neighborhoods, though, where uh, it's in mid-Missouri, um, you know, small town, where the curbs kind of crumble into the street and the sidewalks, uh, you don't really walk on them because they're too peaked and jagged, but they make like a really mean bike ramp. And, uh, you know, my parents got married at 19 and 22. They uh, they were Catholic and they followed the rules. So, uh, you know, we're talking kid, kid, kid. And uh, and then, you know, the paycheck to paycheck lifestyle. But, um, you know, it was a beautiful place to grow up. Everybody's running out of each other's houses and, and just everybody's parents taking care of us kids. And, you know, if I got a minute, um, you know, when I was a kid, I didn't realize how magical it was uh, until I was about eight years old. Um, but this was a very formative moment for me. And a reason that I'm doing this campaign is uh, when I turned eight, my littlest sister was born and she had to have an open heart surgery. And if anybody knows what happens to a paycheck to paycheck family in this country, when, you know, disaster strikes, um, that's it for you, right? Like my parents went bankrupt. We were really on the edge. Um, as a kid, you remember things like your mom just crying all the time, not just because she didn't know if her little girl was going to survive, but because, you know, she didn't know how they were going to take care of the rest of us. And, uh, you know, when I was, when our family, when we were at that really, really low spot, um, we really saw the strength that communities in Missouri have, the magic of everyday people in this country, because, you know, everyday people in that neighborhood who had no more money than we did, they made sure that we made it through that time. Our local mechanic, he like fixed our car for whatever my parents could pay. Um, you know, people brought more food by the house than we could eat. My mom's prayer group passed the plate for us around at church. And uh, when my parents were two hours away during my sister's surgeries, just everybody in that town took us into their homes, us other kids, and took care of us. And so, you know, for me, that's why I'm running this campaign. It's for everyday people who've been neglected by politicians like Josh Hawley, who only care about themselves. And, and I'm presuming when I, when I uh, listen to you tell that story that if you meet someone in Missouri of a different political persuasion or somebody you know, who disagrees with you on an issue, uh, you don't seem like the type of guy to me who wants to kill them. Uh, you know, unlike a lot of people, right, involved in, in, in American politics right now, where there's just such anger, such, such rage, and such enmity. Well, I think, you know, me and the people in Missouri, just, you know, everyday folks who grew up in normal situations, people who live paycheck to paycheck, all of us who are one disaster from bankruptcy, you know, what we understand is that we have a common enemy and it is politicians like Josh Hawley, right? Like what we want our politicians to do is to invest in us. We want them to invest in us so we have the resources to make our own decisions, right? We just want the freedom to help each other out the way people were able to help me out back then. And if you go to my old neighborhood right now, we don't have the resources to do that anymore. Like the first house I lived in is an empty lot. The one I joined the Marine Corps out of, we actually went to take pictures the other day because it's all boarded up to keep the squatters out. It's going to be torn down. 
Every other house on that street's boarded up. The corner store was actually boarded up because it's been robbed so many times that it can't get insurance because like the only thing that lives there anymore is desperation. There's no hope. And it's because people like Josh Hawley have been taking money from the wrong folks and using them to strip commu our communities for parts, you know, so that they can get political power. And, uh, you know, Josh has done attack after attack against everyday people. And we know that, right? And the guy doesn't want to invest in us. He votes against every opportunity in to invest in us. And, uh, and, you know, he really like his focus is this weird, creepy, like control thing. They want to control us in the bedroom. They want to control us in the doctor's office. He wants to control us in the workplace. I don't know if you've seen this like new book, book he's got come out. Did you see it, Steve? Yeah, we're going to talk about it, but go ahead. Yeah, yeah. Manhood by Josh Hawley. For $29.99, you can get the secrets of masculinity from the coward of January 6th. Right, man? Like, that's crazy. And uh, and I actually had to read the thing, and it really is all about control. His solution is that everybody should just be more like him. And so, you know, for the average Missourian, like, that's weird and that's creepy, right? Like, we just want the power to make our own decisions. And uh, that's what my campaign's all about. It's all about investing in communities like the one that took care of me. It's about making sure that we're able to grow and have the resources to take care of each other. Because when we can do that, when we just have the resources to take care of each other, man, it is magical. Everyday Missourians know what the right thing is. We just need to make it so that we're able to do it. I grew up in New Jersey and my introduction to the United States Marine Corps was through the annual John Bastalone parade uh, that, that still goes on every, every year, the great American hero of Guadalcanal, recipient of the Medal of Honor, killed in action, leading men on Iwo Jima. And take me, if you would, Lucas, to the morning that you put your dress blues on for the first time, looking in the mirror, uh, about to have that second lieutenant's bar pinned on and become an officer in the, in the United States Marine Corps. Tell, tell me about that. You know, I, I was stepping into the shoes of my heroes. And so, you know, I talk about how people in my old neighborhood took care of each other. Well, um, you know, we went to the church and when we were growing up, um, my mom and, and dad, you know, we didn't have much money, but we tried to help whenever we could. And so um, at our church, we had a soup kitchen. And uh, and so every couple of weeks we go, we volunteer and all of us kids would get chores. And so I know you're thinking, what does this have to do with the Marine Corps? But it does 100 percent. And so uh, and so every time um, the guy who ran the, the parish soup kitchen asked all the kids, hey, what chores do you guys want to do? My little my sister and I, we'd be like, oh, oh we want to do the dishes. We want to do the dishes. And this guy is like, what's wrong with these kids? Like, who wants to do the dishes? That's crazy. Um, but what he finally figured out is that the reason we did we wanted to do the dishes is because we thought we were scamming this man, right? Like, because the parish had dishwashers and back home, man, we didn't have dishwasher. Doing the dishes was like, you know, 45 minutes of hard labor uh, for a big family. And so like, you know, we just throw the dishes in the dishwasher, walk away laughing at the guy. And uh, And so he figures that out. And two years later, when he remodels the kitchen in his house, he actually took out his old dishwasher, put it into his blue pickup truck, drop, drop, drove it over to our house and had it installed for us because he remembered that and he knew how much that would mean to our family. Now that man was an officer, a Marine Corps officer in Vietnam. Um, he saw some serious things over there. He was hard in hearing because uh, he had his ears blown out several times. 
And uh, he used to take me down to the Marine Corps League when I was younger. And I would listen to these guys tell their stories. I would listen to the songs that they sang. And um, and these were true heroes to me. You know, they took their care of their community when nobody was lit watching. Like, they just did it because it was the right thing to do. And, uh, you know, when I got dressed up and got my, my second lieutenant bars pinned on, uh, he pinned me on. He came all the way out to Quantico, and he did that. And he pinned me with his, um, his, uh, his bars from Vietnam, actually. And, uh, and it was, you know, one of the proudest moments of my life because uh, I wanted to be like these guys. I still want to be like them. It's why I joined the Marine Corps, because I want to serve that community that I grew up in the same way that they did. This is a moment where the country is just overwhelmed by lies, right? Where it's hard for people to know the difference between what's real and not at that boundary line where the truth and the lie are converging. And Josh Hawley goes out there and he talks about manhood, as you, as you mentioned. Here's what I say to my kids, my son, and I, and I think this applies equally you know, to men and women. You know, but to my son, what I, what I tell him is, you got to know when to, when to stand up. And you got to know when to put your toes on the line. You also got to know when to back up off that line. You, you got to know when you're wrong, how to say you're sorry. You, you have to know when it's time to advance off that line, right? And, and to step forward, right? Even when you're afraid. And character, uh, decency gentleness. I mean, meanness is not toughness. Cynicism, all of these things that define Josh Hawley and this strange dogma of control, as you said, in the bedroom, in the confessional, from cradle to grave, Josh Hawley wants to watch over you. What is what is a man, right? There's so many people that talk about the crisis of the American male, suicide epidemic, epidemic of loneliness, despair, all of these things. A lot of people talk about this. My, my friend Maria Shriver talks about this a lot and writes eloquently about it. And, and Josh Hawley has, has his version of manhood, and you read that book, and it's shocking, but that's not manhood in, in any way, shape, or form in the sense of, and we're about the same age, close enough, but, but, but completely alien to the men that were around in my life as a boy, as a young man, it's, they would not recognize the, the manhood archetype of, of someone like Josh Hawley. They would, they, they would, in other words, they would find him repellent. Right? They, they, would, they would find him disgraceful. They, they would find him cowardly and cowering uh, from his craving, lust for power at any cost. One of the, one of the most privileged people in the country by virtue of his education, by his opportunities. 
He, he is the anti-manhood guy against the archetype of the American male, at least the archetype that I grew up admiring. And I wanted to ask you, when you think about manhood, who do you think about? Well, you know, I, I, I think about those Marines. I'll give, you, I'll give you another example of a guy. So for me, it's, it's doing the right thing when nobody's looking. It's taking care of folks. It's not doing things for the show. Like obviously Josh Holly and that company, they're all about the show. And uh, and I, I I will say there is there is actually a moment when it all clicked for me. Like multiple things clicked at once, and it, and it's because um, uh, a guy who had no reason to do something for me just took an extra minute out of his day and did. And so uh, so I'm gonna tell you what happened here. I was in ninth grade, and uh, and like my family was broke in ninth grade, and I I mean like. My dad would drop me off at school in this old rusted out Ford conversion van, and I would have him drop me off down the hill because it just like squeaked so loud when the brakes were hit and he didn't have the money to fix it. And, uh, and I really just like wanted to find myself in ninth grade. And, uh, and I was, I was, uh, I was struggling to do that. And, uh, and then one day I got assigned to a project um, with a, with this girl named Jennifer, who was, who was cool. Like she lived on the other side of town in one of those neighborhoods where they got like, you know, signs outside of it, which, you know, you made it if you live in uh, in a small town with a, with a neighborhood with a sign on it. And, uh, and so um, we got signed to this project. We worked on it in school. We were having a good time. And, uh, and then she, she invited me over to her house uh, one day to finish it after school. And so, uh, and so her mom came, picked us up, took us to her house and uh, so we're over there. And I mean, I'm living large, right? Like they got name brand Oreos, you know, none of the boxes are yellow. We're having all the good snacks and, uh, and, and I'm loving it. We're getting along well and, uh, and we're becoming friends. And, um, and so then, you know, the, we wrap up the project, hang out for a little bit. We're hanging with her mom and, uh, and then her dad comes in. Now uh, he got home from work and a uh, huge guy, like this big burly dude. He actually worked in law enforcement and, uh, and was, was a pretty intimidating guy. And, uh, you know, he says a couple of hellos, ask how we're doing, ask how the project did. It all went well. And uh, so we chat for a little bit. And then, then he's like, OK, all right, son, it's uh, it's time to take you home. And uh, I didn't want them to take me by my house because it was in a rough neighborhood and, uh, and it didn't look that hot. And, and I was embarrassed. And so uh, I had a plan for this, though. I was like, oh, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it, sir. You know, my dad's not too far from here. I'm just going to call him up. He said he'd pick me up down the street. I was like, that was my plan, right? He's, they're not gonna even going to see my van because I'll just walk down to the corner. And, uh, and her dad's like, oh, no, son. If you come over to our house, you're our guest and we take you home. And I'm like, no, no, no. It's okay, it's okay sir. Honestly, I already, I already arranged it all. He's like, son, we're giving you a ride home. And I'm like, oh, God. All right. All right. Um, how am I going to do this? And uh, so we go get into this. I'd never been in a fancy car before. I swear to God. And uh, and they've got this big, beautiful black Cadillac. It's like right out of a Johnny Cash song. Right. And uh, and uh, and so I'm like, OK, I get into the car. I'm like, dang, this thing's nice. And uh, we start driving and I'm like, how can I make it so that they don't see the things I don't want them to see? And so I think about it and I'm like, well, if we go the normal way. We're going to go by the gas station that everybody calls ghetto gas, like the house on the corner is kind of burned out. But if I go around and come up the hill and like take just long enough, maybe the sun will be all the way down. And so I start giving. And so he's like, you know, where are you going? Where are we going? And I was like, oh, I'll give you directions, sir. 
So I start giving him directions and uh and after about five minutes, he's he's catching on. He's like, these are some pretty funky directions for where I think we're going. I'm like, oh no, sir, just go out to this road and then turn right. And he kind of looks back and he's like, uh, do you know where you're going? And uh and I'm like, Oh yes, sir, I've lived there my whole life. And, and he's like, Well, I've lived in this town not my whole life, but a lot longer than yours. And uh and he's like, What uh what are the streets? And I was like, oh, it's uh, Dunklin Street in Ewing. And I named this really tiny short street that's got like five houses on it uh, because I'm just sure he won't know it. And he's like, hmm, okay. Uh, he's like, actually, I think I know where that is. And I was like, oh, okay, well, whatever. And I, and I still maneuver him around. And, um, and so I think I've done it. The sun is setting. We're coming up the hill to my house. And, um, and he, and, uh, and of course, I hadn't thought about that end of the street because nobody ever comes from that way. And, um, you know, we go by a house that, uh, you know, half the windows are out up and it's falling apart. And I'm just like, oh, I try to distract them a little bit. We close up on my house. I'm like, oh, mine's the one uh, at the top of the hill. And as we pull up, uh, I remember or obviously realized that uh, my parents, they repainted our house um, as best they could. We all did it as a family together. You know, my mom's out there with the heat gun. Us kids are helping paint. And uh, they didn't have enough money to paint the whole house. And so they had left that side um, unpainted because it was the side nobody comes up from anyway. And, uh, and I, you know, I realized my mistake. I see just like the, the paint, like scaling off that side of the house. And I'm so embarrassed. And, uh, you know, he keeps looking at me in the rearview mirror, wondering what's going on. And we get there and I'm like, thanks for the ride. Uh, and, uh, you know, my friend Jennifer, she doesn't pay attention to anything. Obviously, she's like, oh, it was great to have you. I'll see you tomorrow at school. Uh, but I'm just so dejected and um, and I get out of the car and I close the door and I mumble something and I start to walk away and you know I'm going down our sidewalk just just praying like dear god please let them just leave please just let them leave and uh, I can like feel this guy looking at me and then the worst thing happens like I hear I hear a car door open and then clunk behind me and I'm like oh god he's going to chew me out because he knows that I just went like 20 minutes out of the way to avoid everything because he knows where we are now. And he's going to go straight back. And, uh, and, and I hear son and it's like big, deep voice. And I'm like, so I just turn around and I'm like, I'm just going to take it like a man. And I turn around and I look at him. He's just looking at me, looming over that big black Cadillac. And, uh, and he looks, he looks at me, he looks up at the house and he looks back at me and he says, son, I just want you to know how proud I am that you came over and worked on this project with Den Jennifer. I'm so proud you're her friend. We'd be proud to come over to your house anytime. You're a great kid and you're going to make it. And he just got back in his car and uh, and drove off. You know, he could have been annoyed with me. He could have said something mean. He could have ignored me. But instead, he took a moment to let me know that I mattered. Again, when nobody's looking, he's never going to get any credit for this, right? It, it means nothing. It's something he didn't have to do. But, you know, for a kid on the other side of town, he took that moment to let me know I could be proud of who I was. I could oh, be wow. proud of who of where I come from. Right. I can be proud of my family because we're good people. And it was just it was an incredible moment for me. And uh, probably the only real sad part out of that for me is, um, you know, I studied hard in school after after uh, after that. I got all A's. I was all state athlete. I got into Yale University. I got to go on a Pell Grant, which, you know, if you don't have enough money, they, they help you out. And, uh, and, and I wanted to say thank you. And I went back to try to find him and, and he'd actually passed away. And so, um, you know, um, 
the one thing, the other thing I learned from that is you got to say thanks to the people who, who mean something to you, even if they don't know, but like, that's what it means uh, to be a man to me. Wow. What a story. Um, how a little choked up, honestly. Um, I hope I didn't ramble for too long. <laughs> no, I, um, but we've got very, heroes like very, that all, very, around very state, all around our country. And that's not who people are hearing from, right? They're hearing from the media bully attention hogs like Josh Hawley. That's not who we are. It's not who Missourians are. And I'm telling you, Missourians are fed up with it. It's why he's the least popular person up for re-election. It's why we're going to win this campaign. He doesn't understand us. He doesn't know how we grow up. He doesn't understand the things we do for each other. I think about that story and I hear it and I think he's looking down on you and he's going to get to see you be a United States Senator. He sure is. The world's a mess right now. How worried are you when you look at the Middle East and the possibility of escalation um, that seems like is starting to spiral? Yeah, I mean, I'm worried about a lot of things, uh, national security wise. You know, I was a Marine for 13 years. I've obviously deployed to the Middle East, Iraq, um, where I led a police training team. You know, I've run convoys up and down roads all over Iraq, Fallujah, Habaniya, Ramadi, just dodging IEDs. And my responsibility was to bring my police training team home, 12 Marines and a Navy corpsman. And, and I'm glad I did that. And I hate to see that that we have more conflict where more people are going to have to go through that. Um, I deployed to Afghanistan twi twice. I actually learned Pashto, the language of southern Afghanistan. I have spoken to Taliban face to face. And uh, and it's uh, it's a really hairy situation. And so, you know, I just hope that um, that the lessons we learned in Iraq and Afghanistan, which that we had a lot of failure there. Right. I hope that those lessons are learned and they get taken into what's going on. Um, in Israel and Palestine right now so they can come to a good resolution. Um, you know, there's, there's also obviously Ukraine, Russia, and this is another one I was deeply involved in. Uh, when I was um, a Marine, my last duty station was at the Pentagon. I was on the joint staff and I was actually representing the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff on uh, international arms control negotiations in, uh, in Europe. So it was on this very conflict, right? And I think the thing that I found the most frustrating during that time was that... Um, I would go over our NATO allies again and again. My job was try to get them on board with U.S. positions. And I try to take them, get them to take a hard position on Russia. And like, remember, this is after Russia invaded Crimea and Donbass in 2014. It was after they'd invaded Georgia in 2008. And here we are, 2016, 17, 18. I'm going to our NATO allies. And I'm like, look, man, these guys are bad. We have intelligence that shows them building up. Their military modernization is for a purpose. And we need you to take a hard position on this. And oftentimes our allies wouldn't do that. And the reason they wouldn't do it is because they were addicted to that cheap Russian gas. Like they were buying all this gas from Russia. They were actually fueling Russia's military modernization. And, uh, and many of us saw it as a problem that we that that could have been solved if the U.S. was supplying the energy instead. But it wasn't. And um, yeah, I can get that in a second. But um, but um, but now we have a conflict there. And oh, I was going to say the other thing that was I found very frustrating was they would be like, oh, yeah that is a scary situation, right? Like we, yeah, mil Russia is modernizing their, their military. Could you, the United States, send more troops and equipment over to protect us from that threat? And, uh, and, and we did it, we did it under all the presidents. And, uh, and so for me, like what I wish we would really do is we would look at a long-term long -term horizon to some of these issues. And so, um, 
you know, with Europe, if we'd spent a lot of money many years ago investing in the next generation of energy and producing that here in places like Missouri, we'd have a bunch of good jobs here in Missouri. We would control the energy of the world. Russia wouldn't have been able to modernize their military and uh, and things would have been, you know, we would have been in a stronger position where that Ukraine-Russia war wouldn't have ever happened. And uh, my biggest worry when I see the world right now is, you know, countries like Europe, European countries, um, you know, now they're like, oh, oops, maybe that was a bad idea to buy all that Russian gas. And they're looking to other places for their energy. But because the United States hasn't invested in that next generation of energy, uh, they're looking over to China for it. Right. They're not looking to us. And so I'm worried that a lot of the conflict that we have in the world is based on energy needs. It really is. You know, we chased it in Iraq. We've seen Russia, Ukraine. Um, shoot, World War II was basically Japan trying to get energy resources um, in the Pacific. And so, like, what I'm worried about is that we always, like, try to fix things after the fact with conflict. And what we really should be doing here is being so strong um, economically and on the energy front that everybody needs us for their energy so they don't go anywhere else. And so, you know, because my biggest fear is that we end up replacing, like, Russia and the Saudis as suppliers of energy for a lot of companies. With Ch for a lot of countries with China, and that's not going to be good for the United States. We're going to end up in a war over Taiwan at some point, possibly. And like I'm telling you right now, like if anybody thinks Ukraine and Iraq and Afghanistan were expensive and costly, like that's going to be a thousand times worse. And uh, and I really I'm very sad that we have hawks like Josh Hawley who keep wanting to go to war over places like Taiwan, but don't want to and don't want to invest in sort of the resources of the future. They're going to keep us out of those wars and keep us in a stronger position internationally. 20 years ago, when I was a Catholic Republican living in Washington, I never anticipated that I would become a Jewish Democrat living in Utah. But I have I have proved when I go on to college campuses, right? When I go on college campuses and I talk to the kids and they got the notebooks out and they go, and you're what did you do six months after college? I always say to them, you have, you have no idea, right, what's going to happen in life, right? Like, you know, you're going to meet someone one day. That's the person you're going to marry. You're going you're gonna to go off in this direction. Um, but uh, during, during my time in the, in the White House, um, I went uh, to Auschwitz in the American delegation, went with Liz Cheney. Um, was there too uh, for the 60th anniversary of the liberation and Elie Wiesel was on that trip. Um, uh, another great Democratic member of Congress who I'm sure you will remember is Tom Lantos um, from California. He was a Holocaust survivor. He was a Hungarian by birth. Uh, he had this white hair um, and he just was this dignified, powerful kind of speaker to human rights issues in the, in the Congress, right, G growing, growing up. I, without question, uh, the trip was a defining one in, in my life. It, it's a place that if you visit it, I've been to a lot of the camps, uh, you don't forget it. Um, a couple of years back, there's a, maybe two years Ken Burns' documentary, America and the Holocaust, that, that tells the story um, of, of this country. It really clarifies, right, how what happened happened, right? It, and it really happened 
on a basis of over 12 years. The Holocaust was planned in Berlin at a lunch meeting in January of 1942 in a leafy suburb called Wannsee um, at a meeting presided over by Reinhard Heydrich and Adolf Eichmann, and they planned the elimination of Europe's Jews, the murder of them. And uh, they did it at a high watermark in the war when they were winning, um, and they took notes. And the notes at that meeting survive and incriminate the Nazi regime as the murderers of six million Jews premeditatedly. You watch all of these things, and in months, according to the FBI director, you have an anti-Semitism crisis in the United States uh, that he's describing as historic. What's happening? Well, I mean, I think what you saw in Germany was uh, some very bad people took a lot of big, uh, they took advantage of some real economic hardship that people were going through. And, uh, and, and they were able to do terrible things through that. And, you know, people will grift off of economic hardship for their own power uh, and for very bad causes. And so, you know, um, my mission is, is to win, is to win this election, right? We cannot have frauds who don't care about us um, running our government. We can't have people um, who are full of hate uh, running our government. Um, you know, I don't know. People may remember this. Uh, Josh Hawley was the only person to vote against the uh, anti-Asian hate bill, um, which is quite the curiosity, right? And so um, for me, again, you know, it goes back to just the things that I learned from people growing up in my neighborhood. And that's that you got to do what's right. You got to do what's right, even if it costs you. Um, some fights may look like they're hard and, and going to be difficult to win, but it's worth it to fight it, uh, not just for your dignity, but for everyone else. And, uh, you know, it, it, this is it. I mean, we're on the front lines uh, in a really interesting fight for democracy out here in Missouri. And, uh, and I'm proud to be on, on that front line for everybody, you know. What do you want to say to Jews in Missouri right now who are afraid? Well, I mean, you're as, you're as much a part of this country as anyone, right? We're coming together. Uh, I'm going to make sure that you're safe. Uh, we're standing behind Israel. You know, Israel, Israelis have the right to defend themselves. And, uh, you know, we're all going to get through this together. What do you want to say to Arab Americans in the country? You're just as much a part of this country as everybody else, you know, um, uh, we're going to get through this together. We got to work together. We got to come up with a plan. And, uh, you know, it's the same thing. We're going to take care of each other. Why do you think it's so hard for someone like Josh Hawley to say that? Look, man, I can't get into that guy's head. All right. Uh, all you right. know, I, it's, and it's not just that he's a spoiled rich kid. Right. Like, I think you could be a decent U.S. senator as, you know, a banker's son, which he is. Right. But you got to have the courage to to learn, right? You got to have the courage to learn about all of us. You got to have the courage to learn about everybody, how we all live uh, and what will make our lives better. But he doesn't care about that, right? He doesn't care about representing us. He just cares about ruling us. That's it. It's not about representing. It's about ruling. And, uh, and frankly, like, I don't care to get in the guy's head. I want to beat him. I want to win this. Like it is incumbent upon all of us to win these elections. And I'm, you know, I'm asking your viewers to invest in this race. I mean, we have got the least popular U.S. senator in the entire country. The polling is tight. We're outraising him because most people have decided to abandon him, uh, as they very well should. 
And uh, we got to win one for the good good guys. This is the front line in the fight for democracy uh, in our country, right? This is critical for our future, for everybody's future. And, uh, and um, you know, again, like, I don't care to get in Mackay's head. I just care to beat him. And then none Tell of us, us ever have to, to think about him again. Wouldn't that be a beautiful thing? <laughs> it would be great. Tell us how to donate to your campaign. And then I want to ask you a question about two great Missourians. But, yeah, you can go to the lucascoonce.com it's l-u-c-a-s-k-u-n-c-e.com you can do it there uh we got an act blue page you know i've been endorsed by the league of conservation voters we got a page there um they got we're on the j street page you know we're on a lot of pages so um there are lots of ways to find us you can just google my name and donate i'd appreciate it if people followed us on twitter and instagram you know shared what we're doing here um because it's a very grassroots campaign you know we've raised uh, an amazing amount of money record-breaking in missouri our average donation though is like $31, which is also pretty incredible. And it's because we're building a grassroots movement. We got donations from every county in Missouri. We have people really excited because they're seeing somebody that they can believe in again, someone who grew up like most Missourians and someone who wants to invest in our state again. So, you know, the more people we can get on that train, the better, you know, share us on social media. And if you got friends or family in Missouri, tell them about this. Tell them you, you heard about me today. Tell them to look us up and, uh, and lobby that support for us. I want to ask you about a great Missourian, uh, a Republican named Jack Danforth, uh, a man of principle and character. Um, why don't you talk about him a little bit? Um, because though you disagree with him on some issues, no doubt, as, as, do, as do I, um, he was a man of character when he served in the United States Senate. So I, um, my family after a little while became Episcopalian and uh, our minister Harv um, actually knew Jack Danforth pretty well since uh, Jack Danforth was an Episcopalian minister too. And, uh, and when I got into Yale and I got to go on that Pell Grant and some scholarships people gave me around town, um, he reached out to Jack Danforth, uh, who by the way was like one of my mom's favorites growing up. And, uh, and asked him uh, if he'd meet with me. And he said yes. And so we actually drove up to St. Louis and I met with him and, and he told me some stories um, about where I was headed because, you know, I didn't really know anything and uh, and and was really nice to me um, and a great guy. And so, you know, I respect him for that. Um, and uh, that's that's why I know about him personally. And, you know, people have always said very nice things about him. I think it's unfortunate that he got tied up with Josh Hawley. You know, he supported him the first time around pretty heavily. And uh, but you know what? Josh Hawley's a con man and and sometimes he gets people. And, uh, you know, it's not the first time Josh Hawley's gotten somebody before. And so I think it's you know, I'm, I'm glad to see that Jack Danforth has since said that Josh Hawley's the worst mistake he's ever made. And uh, and I hope he'll um, you know put his money where his mouth is and uh, and continue to try to help all of us who are doing everything we can to undo that mistake. It's quite an incredible thing for a Republican United States senator and an Episcopal priest to survey his life and say the worst mistake I ever made was Josh Holly. Incredible. Incredible. Well, he's probably right. I mean. Right. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. Um, last person I wanted to talk to you about um, who, uh, like you, is plain spoken, uh, fierce and honorable, was Harry Truman. The buck stops here. Harry Truman 
um, was in the speaker's hideaway playing cards on April 12, 1945, and got a call saying you had to come back to the White House right away. Harry Truman got back there as quick as he could, he walks in, he's received by Eleanor Roosevelt. Eleanor Roosevelt says, Harry, the president is dead. And Harry Truman says to her, Mrs. Roosevelt, is there anything I can do for you? And she looks back at him and says, no, Mr. President, is there anything I can do for you? And he said in that moment, he felt like the moon, the stars, and the weight of all the heavens landed on his shoulders. An ordinary man, combat veteran of the First World War, uh, who served his county, served his state, and ultimately became one of the nation's great presidents with an ethos, the buck stops here. So we live in a time where no one's accountable for anything. Uh, everybody's pointing a finger at someone else. This, this plain-spoken Missouri man, um, the lessons of his life for you are what? And we'll leave that as the last question before I ask you to close out with anything you'd like to say. Yeah, look, man, Harry Truman's one of the greats. I, I actually, um, I live in Independence, Missouri, home of Harry Truman. Uh, I live right by the town square there. And you can see Harry Truman's house out my bathroom window. Um, well, in the wintertime, but I still think that counts. And, uh, and you know, Truman uh, was one of those guys who many times did the right thing, um, despite everyone telling him not to. And, you know, one of the, probably the greatest example I can give is when he integrated the United States military. He just did it. Everybody told him, you're going to lose the South. You're going to lose the presidency. He did it anyway. Everybody predicted he was going to, because it was the right thing to do. Everybody predicted he was going to lose the election in 1948. You know, there's a famous picture of him holding up the newspaper at the Elms uh, uh, Hotel in Missouri, where in Excelsior Springs, that says, you know, Dewey defeats Truman. And, uh, and you know what? He worked the ground. He met as many people as he could. He did his whistle stop tour because for him, it was everyday people that were important to him. That's what we're doing in Missouri. It's how we're running our campaign. We are going town to town, meeting as many people as possible because that's who matters to me. You know, when I started this campaign, I said the only people I'm ever going to owe are the people who took care of me, everyday Missourians, you know, like the folks who took care of my family when we were growing up. And uh, I can tell you right now, like, I, I put my money where I'm at, my mouth is. We take no money from corporate PACs, no money from federal lobbyists, no money from fossil fuel executives, no money from big pharma executives, big ag, you know, we have a pretty long list. And when we started this campaign, everybody, like I was told, uh, that's impossible. You know, one person said that's stupid. It's impossible to run a modern campaign that way. But for me, I think it's impossible to represent the people you're supposed to represent if you do take that money. So like Harry Truman, I decided to do it the right way. We're going to do the right thing. We're going to do it anyway. And, uh, you know, sometimes when you do the right thing, people notice, right? They notice for Harry and he won. And, uh, and for us, we've raised record money, uh, despite all of those restrictions we put on our campaign. And, uh, and so for me, you know, it's, uh, it just goes back to, you know, I didn't say his name earlier, but this guy, Larry, who was Jennifer's mom, who did the right thing was no one was looking to let a kid know that, you know, he matters in this world. 
uh, you know, it's people um, like the Marine veteran who ran our church kitchen, uh, who took time out of his day to give us a dishwasher two years after he figured out we might need one. It's Harry Truman doing the right thing, uh, despite the fact it's going to cost him. That's what we do. It's the way we take care of each other. And uh, and it's the way we get this country back on track. Um, I want to say one last thing, even though I said I was going to let you say the last thing. Everybody, everybody who watches this, I want to say something to you. There's so many people that write, comment on these sites, and they are deeply worried. And they ask, what can they do? I'm going to tell you very directly what you can do. It doesn't matter if it's $5, $10, $20, or a couple thousand dollars. Every dollar counts. Please, I implore you, help fix our country. Send this man to the United States Senate. Send him there. Help him communicate to the good people who live in Missouri to take out one of the worst, most dishonest, obnoxious, spoiled people that has ever, ever served. Becoming a United States Senator, having the opportunity to serve your state under the Capitol Dome, built by Lincoln's insistence, the greatest act of optimism in American history during the height of Civil War. Josh Hawley is desecrated, desecrated his oath, broke his word. He broke the covenant between the American Revolution and a million patriots who gave the last full measure of devotion so that we may live in freedom. He, he shattered it. Get rid of him. Because he is a national security threat. He is as unworthy as a person could conceivably be to sit in a position of political responsibility and power in this country. And I want to be clear, you get enough of those people together, they can wreck, wreck a society. We got to get rid of those people, and we got to put people like this guy into high political office in this country because he's on your side. Do everything you can to talk about Lucas Kuntz to talk about his campaign and to support his campaign. You can do it from all over the country. This isn't a fight just for Missouri. This is a fight in Missouri for America. And this man is on the American side. That man is not. Lucas Kuntz for United States Senate, write him a check. Make phone calls for him. 
go to Missouri for a weekend and knock on doors for him, participate in our democracy, and take our country back from this madness. Lucas Kuntz, thanks for being here. Good luck to you. Everybody, fight hard for Lucas Kuntz because he's going to fight hard for you. Thank you, Steve.